So we've been doing a Bible study here at Snowmass Chapel for the past few weeks, and about 20 of us have been gathering after church every Sunday to work our way through a book called The Relationship Principles of Jesus. And the Bible study portion that goes with it is called 40 Days of Love. Now, if when you hear 40 Days of Love, you imagine it's the year 1967, and everybody's in, you know, gunny sacks, dresses, dancing with long-haired hippies in fields of daisies, you might want to think again. Because I think there's been a little more weeping and gnashing of teeth than there has been Summer of Love, if you know what I mean. Because loving people is not for the faint of heart. It is never all rainbows and daisies. I wonder how many of you can relate to that. Have you ever been in a relationship, any kind of relationship, whether it's a marriage or a parent-child relationship, a coworker, any kind of relationship that has been easy and peaceful and loving all the time, every day, all day? Anybody? Anybody had any weeping of gnashing of teeth? <laughs> Well, we talk all the time about the mission of the church, not just this church, but Christian churches everywhere. Um, the mission is based on the greatest commandment. You all know it. Love God, love people. It hangs on our banner in the entryway. We talk about it all the time. We preach about it. In fact, many of you can probably quote the scripture itself, I'm sure, from Matthew 22, 37, when Jesus was asked by a group of people, what is the greatest commandment in all of scripture? And he said, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love others as yourself. In fact, we talk about it so much here at Snowmass Chapel that I think some of you probably think, okay, we get it. Can we just, can we move on? But the answer in short is no. We can't move on. We don't dare move on from that subject. For starters, in addition to the greatest commandment, the Bible actually mentions loving your neighbor no fewer than 15 times. I think when the Bible says something to us that often, we ought to pay attention. In the Old Testament book of Leviticus, God mentions at least twice to love your neighbor. It's repeated again in Deuteronomy. The same thing shows up in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's in the letters to the Romans and the Galatians. It's in the letter from James. Loving one another is quite simply something that all Christians are called to do. Jesus said in the reading this morning, it's by loving people that everyone will know you are my disciples. Everyone won't necessarily know it because you come to church. Everyone won't know it because you pray or read your Bible at home first thing in the morning. Everyone won't know it by the way you dress or the food you eat or the books you read. Everyone will know it because of your love. It is by this everyone will know, Jesus said. But Jesus didn't just command us to love he gives us his perfect example of what that looks like in action. Jesus healed. Jesus was patient with people. He was agreeable and helpful. He was accepting of all kinds of people, prostitutes, tax collectors, divorcees, children, 
foreigners who most people would have rejected, people from other religions, remember he called them Gentiles, sinners of all kinds, women. Jesus behaved in all of these ways, and he said explicitly to everyone, follow me. Follow my example. Do as I do. Follow my lead. Love as I love. That invitation to follow is an invitation to transformation. It was, for the people of his day, an invitation to a new way of religious observance, of expectations around rulers and kingship, a new way of worshiping. It was an invitation then, as it is for us today, to a whole new way of being in relationship with people, relationship with family, friends, enemies, community, political powers, the earth, everything. That new way of being is something that I take very seriously. And as followers of Jesus, I think we have to take it seriously. In fact, it's the reason I'm standing here today. When I was first called to ministry, I, like almost every minister I know, was quite reluctant. There's this sense of, I'm not worthy enough to do that. Who, me? But ultimately, what got me through the door was this undeniable truth that following Jesus had brought me more peace, more blessing, more joy than anything in my life up to that point. Nothing else had done that for me. The hard moments in my life have been easier. The great moments of my life have been awesome. The truly great moments, marrying my husband, the birth of our children, some really cool experiences, have been even all the more joyful because of the presence of God. To me, that was ultimately worth sharing, because I figured, and you might too, that there's some people who need to hear that, that God makes things better. God makes a difference in our lives. And I knew then what I still know now, that is the way, the truth, and the life will ultimately lead us to the most authentic, fullest version of ourselves. And there's another thing I know, and it's that human beings are meant to be relational. We are hardwired for relationships. We cannot get through this life without encountering other people, from the checker at the grocery store to the barista to our deepest and most profoundly intimate connections. In both deep and surface-level relationships, we are just hardwired to be with one another. Which is why the number one thing that God wants us to do as followers of Jesus, as people who want to live a full and robust and authentic life, is to love. If we do nothing else but love God and love others, we got it. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, in fact, in the New Testament, that nothing else matters. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but don't love others, I would simply be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, Paul wrote. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. You all know this passage. I know you hear it at weddings all the time. 
It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But what you might not realize is that Paul wasn't writing that for a bride and groom. He was writing it for followers of Jesus. You want to be a follower of Jesus, he was saying? You want to be a disciple? You want to be the most joyful, energized, joy-filled person in life? Love like Jesus. Be patient. Be kind. Don't be envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Does it sound familiar from the passages you've heard at weddings? Don't insist on your own way. Don't be irritable or resentful of others. Don't keep score of other people's sins. Jesus said to his disciples, the whole of humanity will know you are my disciples by the way you love. And it all sounds great. We leave here each week inspired and we think, yes, I got this. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to be more loving. And then we walk across the bridge and we encounter the first person who is unloving or unlovable. And we go, ah, I can't do this. And you're right. You can't. But God can. And that's a good thing because Jesus doesn't say to us, try to love people more. Just try to be more loving. No, Jesus says, love like I do. That is a tall order to love like Jesus. So the number one thing I could probably leave you with today is this. Stop trying to do that on your own. You simply cannot. We must rely on God if we're going to achieve the goal of loving people. We can't white knuckle it. We can't say, I'm going to love this person if it's the last thing I do. (laughs) We can, but it doesn't get us very far. Love takes more, believe it or not, than our simple human abilities. So here are some things we can do. Pray. Spend time with God. Add a spiritual component to that desire for change that you have in any area of your life. But prayer will get you so far. Spending time with God. Pray for patience. Patience is an attitude. It starts in the mind. And attitudes create behaviors. Patience is an attitude. Kindness is a behavior. Pray for patience. Kindness will follow. Be patient. Be kind. Pray for it and then practice it. I don't know why we have this idea that love should just be easy and carefree and that there's either something wrong with me or something wrong with the other person or something wrong with this relationship if it's not always loving and carefree. And so then we bail and we think it's not worth my time. But that's not it. Sometimes we have to fake it. And if that sounds a little hypocritical to you, then consider this. Jesus didn't command you to feel love. He commanded you to act in love. He didn't command us to have certain emotions. He commanded us to behave in certain ways. Ways that sometimes you just don't want to do, but you do it anyway. There are days, and I'm just guessing here, that maybe you don't want to get up and go to work in the morning. Or maybe you don't want to get up and feed your kids breakfast and get them off to school. You'd rather just sleep in. But I can't imagine any of you, in most circumstances anyway, picking up the phone and calling your boss and saying, you know, it just, 
it would just feel too hypocritical for me to come in today. I'm just not feeling it. I might try that with you, Robert, though. <laughs> just not feeling it today. I don't want to be a hypocrite here. Sometimes we have to fake it till we make it. We have to practice. We have to just show up anyway. We have to show up in ways that say, I care enough to keep trying. I care enough to do my best. There are times when we feel anything but loving, but we do it because we know that we have to act in love anyway. And that's where God comes in, because this kind of love can only come from God. Jesus, as he prayed in the garden the night before he was crucified, begged God, please take this cup from me. If there's any way that this doesn't have to happen, please, please take it from me. And I know that in your own prayers, you have agonized as well over circumstances or events or relationships in your life. And Jesus ended his prayer with the simple words, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The author of the book that I mentioned that we're reading for our Bible study, Tom Holliday, he calls this kind of love or this kind of prayer, nevertheless love. Nevertheless, God, let me love anyway. Now, I do have a caveat. If you're sitting here today and you're in an abusive relationship or you're um, just, these things are just too hard for you to consider making a change this great, that's okay. Take it down a notch. This is not, that's a different kind of relationship that we need to tackle later. Uh, and we're here for that. Find somebody who can help you with that kind of relationship. But the principles and the practices that we're talking about here are equally good for the lowest level relationships you have. The barista. The person that, at your office that drives you crazy. You can practice loving on those low-level relationships. Your neighbor, your pastor. People that are a little bit lower risk and then go from there. But regardless of who you have in your mind right now, I'm guessing some of you do, have someone in your mind that is that person you need to practice on. Maybe it's no one in particular, but there are some very real things we can do to facilitate God's work in your life and on your heart to get down to the business of that nevertheless love. So there, here are some of the really sound practices that you might consider to help you cultivate a loving heart. Number one might be surprising to you, rest. Psalm 127 says God enjoys giving us rest. And I would argue that we are so busy, so overscheduled, we live in such a get-it-done society that we are simply too exhausted to love each other. So rest. And do it for no other reason than to replenish your own soul, your own well of reserves, because you cannot give to someone else what you don't have. The second thing is to just recharge. Jesus was a master at this. He was a perfect example. Nobody was busier than Jesus. He was busy healing people, hurling demons off the sides of cliffs, going and, and entertaining people. He would argue with the uh, debate with the religious leaders in the town square. He would preach in the temple. And everywhere he went, he had to walk. This was a busy guy. But Jesus' example to us is to actively seek 
time alone. When the going got tough, Jesus instructed his disciples to go away by themselves and rest. Every time he was faced with a challenge, Jesus retreated and spent time with God. But Jesus also had fun. That's another way to replenish your soul. He enjoyed life. He ate and drank with his friends. He was relaxed. Doing activities you love creates energy and enthusiasm for life. You don't have to be dragged down by negativity. You don't want to wish that on other people either. So doing these kinds of activities replenishes your soul. Do things that recharge and re-energize you so that you have more than enough patience and kindness to go around. And the third thing is trust. And this is a biggie. Because if you want to have the fullest, most authentic, engaged, joyful, energized life by following Jesus, then you need to trust him. Jesus is asking us to live and to think in entirely new ways that is going to require a lot of trust on our part. And make no mistake about it, it will also require all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. This loving people can sometimes go beyond our human capacity. So trust that as the old children's hymn says, when we are weak, he is strong. Let God show power to your weakness in those situations. If we really want to transform our lives, we need to transform our relationships and we do that by cultivating the habits of a healthy heart. So we pray, we spend time with God, we ask for patience and endurance, we rest, recharge, we trust, and then we step out in faith and we act in love. And by this, may everyone know that we are his beloved disciples. Amen.